I don't believe that Bo is an Alabama fan, are you? Oh, okay. I thought you was over there for other reasons. I thought, now wait a minute. This is just not enough right. Okay. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry to hear that some of you couldn't get on on the church's website. Um, I have no idea why. I work. Mine works just fine. I think that I told you you don't have to use the www, but maybe you do. Maybe you ought to try that. You know, and the www.ourcbc.us. The other thing you might want to try is go back to the old communitybaptistonline.us and that will should send you to our updated new website. And it is updated, by the way. There are several messages on there. And I finally have one article posted, although don't read it yet because I just sent Jeff a whole bunch of corrections and I want him to repost that first. I didn't, I didn't, I thought I had it. It was one that every one of them was one that a spell checker, you know, wouldn't, or grammar check would never get catched. So, uh, you know, if you got a misspelled word, but it spells another legitimate English word, it just keeps right on going. You know, it doesn't, doesn't catch all that stuff. So I found, unfortunately, several of those, but I got them, I think, all fixed now. The other thing I was going to announce was that we figured out, Jeff tells me, not we, Jeff figured out how to, um, or he has the, the means himself to copy tapes and put them in digital form and put them on the Internet. So what I want to do is put, I'd like to put several of Royce's messages on, on the, our website as well. Well, I have to lean on a lot of you for help there. So if you have some favorite uh, messages on cassette that you've been saving back somewhere, um, if you don't mind lending them out, put your name on it, but lend it to me, then we'd like to get those on our website as well. Um, I've got a few myself. Uh, when I used to listen to those, I would star. I'd either put a check mark, two check marks, or three check marks, depending on where I landed, you know, what I felt was of import. So when I went back to look through them, I could grab one and say, aha, that's a good one. I want to listen to that again for sure. Well, if you have some like that, uh, I'd and somebody gave me, I think it was uh, Brother Angus, you gave me a copy of his tape on trees, and I want to make sure that gets up there uh, on our website. But if you have anybody else, you have any like that, would you... Uh, be kind enough to loan us. We don't want you to give them away. Just loan them to us, and we'd like to get them on our website and have several of those posted there for for people that would prefer to go back or enjoy going back and listening to or repeat messages or, you know, people who are uh, searching the Internet. Um, Jeff, oh, that's another thing I should announce, that he has it in, uh, set up with Google so that if you Google... Uh, our church's name, it should come up. You should be able to find it. I don't, I've never tried that yet, but he said you can do it. So you can Google it, and that means you should be able to come up and Google, well, say like Philip Morrow, the author that I have uh, his article posted on our website. You should be able to Google that and then come up with our website eventually. There's probably several thousand of Morrow on the Internet, but we're going to be there somewhere. <laughs> 
Okay, I think that takes care of my announcements for this morning. I hope I haven't overlooked anything, uh, except I know that Aaron's getting awful close, just about a month, well, less than a month away now. Three weeks? Oh, two weeks. So I thought it was like August the 5th or something. Oh, wow, we're coming right. And now are you making, do you have any trips to Georgia between now and then? One? Okay. Well, when that's over with, we want to know what you still have need of so that we can, we may want to just want to, we may just may want to throw some things at, you know, shower you with a few things. I don't know. Uh, this is your first baby, so we know you're always going to have some need of some things there. You can't get around that. Okay. Anything else I need to think of? I can't. Um, we still have, I'm still planning, as of this day, I'm still planning on going to Indiana over the 20th if Seth can work his schedule out. Um, oh, then I should announce, well, then the other thing is Ken Guth. I did confirm it with him. He'll be here August 31st. Um, the other thing is um, I'm, I'm really excited. I made some progress. I switched a medication from morning to evening. And this particular medication is one that makes your real sleepy and groggy Coreg. And that seems to have made all the difference in the world so far. <clears throat> so I have felt great ever since I made that switch. And my blood pressure has stayed up uh, during the day. Now, I don't know what it's doing at night while I'm sleeping. But uh, during the day, when I need it to be up, it's been up even in the 90s. And I had 101 reading. Um, when was that? Yesterday sometime, in the afternoon, I think it was, I took it, and it was 101. Well, that's a milestone for me. Some of you would love to be down that far. To me, it's great to get up that far. Um, I've been down, I had several days, I was down in the 70s, and when you get down there, boy, you're dragging. I could hardly go, so I'm grateful for that. And that's one reason I found out, I believe that I was so worn out after preaching on Sunday morning, was that medicine I found was kicking in right around noontime. So hopefully, we're still on the experimental stage. It's only been two days, but hopefully that's going to work out great. And so when you pray, you pray that that will all work if that's the solution to this whole thing here. Okay, we want to look at 1 John today, chapter 4. And I do want to continue somewhat, at least, Maybe not entirely, but somewhat the discussion we were having last week about <coughs> the world and the distinction or dichotomy between where we as Christians are or should be and the, the world and what characterizes the world. That was our main topic was what the characteristics of the world as opposed to the characteristics of the spirit of one who is walking with the Lord. And there is a difference. We didn't really talk a lot of detail about the characteristics of this age in which we live. And you can say the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world, the God of this age or the God of this world, they're all talking basically about the same thing. One has to do with the nature or arrangement. The, the word world, cosmos, means orderly arrangement and how this world is put together. And then the other one has to do with its empowerment. 
the God of this world or the God of this age in which we live. And if there is anything that the scriptures teach, it teaches that we are to be separated from that. I know that word scares a lot of people when you talk about separation because of the old-time, quote, fundamentalist connotations of, you know, things that we shouldn't do and things that we should do, and you draw up a list and so forth. Uh, And those may be good and they may not be. But the point is, we are to be separated from the world. We're not to have any association or identification with the things of this world. And it's the things of this world that get us in trouble. And the problem with us, with as Christians, it is always there. It never goes away. It's kind of like light and darkness. And this illustration is so apt and and easily to be applied that I use it often. But when you talk about the darkness of this world, you know, it's, it's something that is, it's like, it's always there. You know, we, if you turn the lights off, then you have darkness. Sun goes down, you have darkness. You know, you don't flip a switch to turn on darkness. You only flip a switch to turn on the light. It takes an extra outside source of power. And so it is, the application metaphorically in our lives is, is that darkness is always there. It's always lurking right around the corner. And so consequently, to gain victory over that, to wend our way or walk through this darkness, this age in which we live, then we must be empowered and empowered by God's Spirit. So consequently, John here, in a very tender manner, is addressing those Uh, whom he's writing to in this letter, 1 John, and expressing to them how we must test the spirits, try the spirits, be sure that they're of God and not of this world. And so that the things we determine that we are going to associate with, the things that we're going to entangle ourselves with or unite ourselves with, make sure they're not of this world. So let's look at chapter 3. And verse 24, because this is the verse where he begins a new section of thought here. And that's what we want to look at today, this section here, and on through into chapter (coughs) 4. He says there, he that keeps his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. That's a little bit confusing, but he, the Christian, that keeps his commandments, God's, dwelleth in him, that is in God, and he, God, dwells in him, the believer. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Now the word abide and the word dwelleth are actually the same word. They just gave a little different translation for whatever reason. The King James translators were often prone to do such a thing, whether it was for just for pure variety's sakes, uh, nobody really knows except that seems to be what they did it for, was just for variety so you don't get bored reading it. I personally like the same thing, the same Greek word translated the same way as much as possible 
every time. That way you'll know the thought of the original writer and you'll know what the intent was. And so here when he's talking about this person dwelling in God, abiding in him, then you have the assurance that he abides in you. That's your confidence. That is your assurance. Matter of fact, in verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And in verse 19, he says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Well, how is that? That we abide in him. And that by abiding in him, we walk in love. And so you'll see that this matter of abiding and dwelling in God and walking in love and loving one's brother are very intimately tied together. As a matter of fact, John paints these as the bedrock of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian who can confidently stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Who can look forward with assurance and without fear is because they love their brother in Christ. Now, of course, we understand here that that definition of brother in Christ is a lot more narrower than the church at large gives to it. Because there, it's applied to anybody who professes or confesses Christ in any way or fashion seems to be a brother. And in some circles, you don't even have to do that. But we understand from Scripture, and if you want, you could look at, particularly at Matthew chapter 12, is a great place to start, that those whom the Lord Jesus looked upon as his brothers or his brethren were those disciples who sat before him and heard his words and obeyed them. You might remember when his mother and his brothers and sisters came to him and they came and said, Jesus, you know, your family, they're out there looking for you. He said, hey, right there. He said, this is my family right here. Now that's, you know, that's, you think about that, that's really pretty strong. He was making a strong dichotomy between his earthly family, those who he was physically related to, as opposed to those who were his true brethren, those whom he considered one with him. And that's what John's talking about here in this passage, being one with God, abiding in fellowship with him, dwelling with him. The the word dwell means to just to abide, to stay in one place. And it means as well, not just physically to stay in one place, you know, because there are several instances in the, in the New Testament where this word abide just simply applies to, well, where do you live? Where's your home at? When you go home at night, you know, when, when the day is over, where do you go to hang your hat at? Well, this is where I abide. This is where I dwell. This is my dwelling place. But the word dwell also has to do with relationship. Who do you dwell with? 
Who do you abide with in terms of relationship on a regular basis? And he's telling us here, the one who abides in him has God abiding in the believer. And so that becomes very important to us because it's only the one in whom God is abiding that is going to be able to stand before God confidently in the day of judgment without fear. And so he begins then in verse 1 to address them by saying, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test them. Prove those spirits. What kind of spirits? Whether they are of God. Well, there's different kinds of spirits. There are spirit, the, the spirit of God, and then there, are, there is the spirit of this world or the spirits of this world. Those who associate with this cosmos, this worldly arrangement that we presently experience and live in every day. You know, that's where we get, you know, cosmos is where we get our word cosmetology. Ladies go to the cosmetologist. Why? So you can experience in an orderly arrangement. <laughs> you get your hair all fixed up in a certain fashion, in a certain way. And it has to do with an, an arrangement or order of things that bring about some sort of appeal to a person. And the orderly arrangement of this world or this age in which we live has an appeal about it. It has an attraction to it. And the spirits, John is telling us, are constantly there knocking on your door. Just waiting to see if you'll give in. You know, that's, that's a part and parcel of that light and darkness illustration. Because it's when you let up, it's when you decide to coast as a Christian that you've been had just like that. Because you can't do it. You can't go along for the ride. It takes active participation on your part. Active participation in walking with God, taking in His Word, and obeying. You know, when you receive God's Word and you obey it, God energizes us, gives us the divine enablement then to walk as an overcomer. To walk in a spirit-filled manner. That's how you do it. It's just as simple as that. It's not a feeling. When that happens, it is not a feeling. So don't be looking for one. And don't expect some you know, fuzzy thing to, to come over you. It is purely doing the will of God. Walking in obedience. That enables us to have the spirit-filled life. See, you're led of the Spirit. When you are led of the Spirit, as Paul tells us in Galatians 5, <clears throat> you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To be led of the Spirit means to walk in obedience to His commandments. The Spirit leads us to do those things, but you still have to do them. And when you do those things, 
He says, it is impossible for you to fulfill the lust of the flesh if you're just doing it. You can't do it. But if you fulfill the lust of the flesh, and he names them, he tells you in Galatians 5, 20, 21, 22, he tells you specifically what those things are, several of them, not an exhaustive list, but several of them, then he tells us you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. And so John, what John's message here is, is essential for us. It is part and parcel of the Christian walk that we must check the spirits, prove them, test them. It's the word, our familiar word, dokime or dokimos. It's where we get the word also approved, that we might stand before him approved one day. And so when we try these spirits, he says, whether they are of God, because, why do we do that? Because many false prophets are gone out into cosmos, into this orderly arranged world that we live in. False prophets have gone out into that. And don't you, like some vortex that would suck you out into it and be taken up with it yourself. And so it's, it's, it's a kind of a, you know, it's a really interesting thing here to me because he's, he uses this very tender expression, beloved. And yet it's a strong, strong warning. And it tells us something about the affinity and love that John had for these whom he was addressing. And of course, that ought to be characteristic of you and I as well. Our love for one another ought to be such that we could feel or have the ability to warn a fellow brother in a very affectionate and kind and gentle way so that we all can keep on the same path. That's what the fellowship of the assembly of God's people is all about. God's people... Ecclesia, as it were, or assembled together, called out, brought together. See, and you were called out this morning. You were, you were brought together here for a common purpose and a common reason, like no other assembly on this earth. And that ought to be the thing that drives us, that motivates us, that moves us, you know, in verse 2, he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, you have to know that there's a couple of words here that are not in the original Greek. It's the word that and the word is. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh is of God. And a great number of commentators, rather than supplying the word is there, would say this. Every spirit that confesses Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, come in the flesh, is of God. And you see, that's the dividing point. That is the dividing characteristic that sets that person apart. 
The one who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus as the Messiah has come in the flesh. Now, you might think, well, hey, a whole lot of Christians believe that. I mean, it wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to go far outside this church to walk down the street to uh, a church of many other denominations and find people who believe the same thing, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But you'll notice the dichotomy here between the one who believes such things and these false prophets who have gone out into the world to deceive those who believe that and render them, basically render their testimony useless and worthless. Now, let's, you kind of got to read several passages here, verses, rather, in order to catch the thought of that. So let's do that right now. He says, And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. <coughs> and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. And then them would relate back to the false prophets. Because greater is he that is in you, well, and that would include the Antichrist as well, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so you have, well, let's keep reading. They, that is the false prophets or the Antichrist, are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. And we have to understand there, the context would mean they hear them because their, their, their message appeals to them. And so he says in verse 6, we are of God. That is, we apostles are of God. He, the individual Christian, that knoweth God, heareth us. We apostles. That is, we apostles who speak from apostolic authority. We, he says, are of God. We have our authority from God. And he that hears us, he says, is also of God. But he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so you have this dichotomy set up between the world, the cosmos that we know that we live in and function in, and the sphere in which we walk as Christians. But what he's telling us is not just that you have Christians and the unbelievers, but he's telling us here in this passage there are three groups of people because you have Christians who have succumbed to and gone over here with the world. And they're accommodating themselves to the things the world has to offer. And they are, they are great things. I mean, the world is, is, has accomplished, is accomplishing, and probably yet in the future will accomplish some mighty great things. I mean, you look on the Internet and you see all the, I mean, all the way from the nanotechnology things, the tiniest things, 
all the way up there into outer space to the far reaches as far as man can go. And they're, they're looking to launch uh, uh, a man to go to Mars one, one, someday, pretty soon, really, just a matter of a few years. However small you want to go, however high or large you want to go, man is exploring everything and developing and devising means by which he can make the world better now. Whether it's a, the tallest buildings in the world, whether it's the fastest computer in the world, or whether you're the finest honed athlete in your particular sport, or whatever it may be, there is an, an attraction and an appeal to that. And yet, when we come to God's word, he tells us that, as we saw last week in Romans, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. And in the context there, he was making the same comparison. When you look at the things of this earth, and then you look through the eye of faith at the things that God has promised to give to those who love him, who abide with him, who walk with his spirit, who are led of his spirit, we cannot comprehend what that world's going to be like. But it's going to be a whole lot greater than this one and far better. See, we often speak of it as the characterization of, of righteousness and peace. And, you know, the Bible does give that great, great characterization to the coming age of the Messiah when he rules the earth. But, you know, you have to, you have to think, compare, which is not possible to do. I realize that. But when you think or consider the things that man has done and how great many of these things are, and then consider what the millennium will be like. And you can't compare. It will not be possible to imagine the kind of developments in technology, in social life, in agriculture, in whatever thing you can imagine, art, science, everything will be so far beyond what we've experienced here or what we can experience here. And yet, we still have to be careful because we as Christians are taken up with the world if we're not careful. And we can succumb to its pleasures and give in to its desires because we're so easily enamored by the things we see rather than the things we can't see. And yet God's admonition to us is, Walk by faith, not by sight. Well, that's really all that John's been telling us here. Walk by faith, not by sight. Matter of fact, he, he tells us, how in the world, he says, can you say you love God whom you've not seen and you don't even love your brother who's you know, right there in the pew with you or maybe in the aisle across from you? It's because we are so given over to the eye. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. A couple messages about the eyes. The eyes of man. The gate by which we take things into our soul. And we look at the things this world has to offer. 
and they are so, so appealing to us. And so it's the matter of walking with caution. Or as Paul tells us in, um, oh boy, I can't remember now. Romans 11, I think. No, I don't remember now. So 12, walk circumspectly. Now, that's just a word that means walk. You know, it's like driving. You know, you're supposed to be checking your rear view mirror over here, the rear view mirror over there, the rear view mirror in the middle, always looking around constantly as you're driving, watching for the what? The other driver. As you walk through this world, we're to be doing the same thing, to be circumspect about the world. Always checking ourselves, watching what, what's going on around us so that we're not deluded or taken in, or that we do not succumb to the things of this world. Now, he tells us um, the confidence that we can gain is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so consequently, we have no reason to fail, no reason to give in, no reason to succumb to the allurements that this world has to offer this cosmos, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It, it is so antithetical or di- diametrically op- op- opposite to think of a person indwelt by God and his spirit to then move over and become in- possessed of or indwelt by the spirit of this age and the things of this earth. But yet it's far more common than they're willing to admit. Far more common than we're willing to consider. Well, he tells him in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not God, uh, he that loveth not, rather, I'm sorry, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this case, or in this, was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, he, now Paul transit, or yeah, John rather, Paul, John transitions into this matter of the association of one who is abiding in God, dwelling in God, and who loves his brother. That is the mark or the evidence here, he says, of one who knows God and is born of him, is that he loves his brother. And of course, the only thing he says that enabled us to even do that was the fact that God loved us first and sent his son to die for us, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I want to move on. Well, maybe I'll move back. You you look at that verse 9, where it says... God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. 
Now, that word live is our word for life that's zoe. And the word zoe, you know, there's three Greek words translated life in the New Testament. Bios, or B-I-O-S, it's where we get our word for biology. Then you have suke, which is translated both ways, uh, life or soul. And then you have zoe. Zoe is always and only always used of millennial life. Never suke, never bios, bios. It is always described as zoe life. The life that is associated with God is always, always described as zoe life. And so, you know, it's in our English Bibles, it makes us hard to distinguish between which is which, which is why it requires some study. When you come to the word life like that, you need to look that one up. Make sure you know, well, what life is he talking about? And he's talking here about zoe life. The kind of life or the quality of life that God desires to give to his people. Now watch though. Go back over to chapter, uh, well, we're in chapter 3. <coughs> And beginning at verse 10, he says there, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. We have two things mentioned there, the one doing righteousness and the one that loves his brother. Now this children of the devil here, it's not a contrast between saved and unsaved. It cannot be because an unsaved person could not even do righteousness to begin with if he wanted to. The question here is, is if a person who is either doing righteousness or not doing righteousness, and that can only be a person then who's a believer. And so a person doing unrighteousness here is described as a child of the devil. And he tells us in verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, that's the contrast. The one who has evil works and the one whose right works were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Watch verse 14. We know that we have passed from the death unto the life, messianic life, because we love the brethren. You see that that is a marked characteristic? One who loves the brethren. I would hope that you would find more satisfaction meeting here on Sunday morning than being anywhere else. Why is that? Because you love the brethren. I, I, you know, you've heard me whine a little bit about fellowship, meeting together. Around and of course, early Christians did it around food. But you know what? It's because I like to be with you. 
If I had my way about it, you know, we could have church four or five times a week, or, or I don't mean church, I mean we could meet here, assembled here together for whatever reason. If we just sat around, I've told people here before, if we just sat around and did nothing but talk, I'd be a happy guy. I enjoy that because I'd rather spend my time here than anything else I can think of out in the world. I don't think that I don't get, I don't get attracted to them or I don't think that someday that, boy, if I'd have just gone and got this degree and gone and studied that and got this job and look where I'd be today or if I'd have stayed where I was 30 years ago, where would I be today? You know, you can go back and think about things and, and mull over those things and be tempted by them and do the what-if things. But when you sort it all out and you think it through and you consider what the Scripture has to say about it and I examine my own heart, this is where I'd rather be. I take my choices here any day over anything that the world has to offer. Well, he tells us that we have passed, in verse 14, we have passed from death unto the life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in what? The death. There's an article there. And you have to understand here John's message. John's message is simply this, that if you are abiding in love, if you are walking in the Spirit, separated from the things of this world, he says, then you have the life. You have Zoe life. But if you are not, and you do not love your brother, then you're abiding in death. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean you're not saved. But it does mean you will not experience the life of the millennium. Because that's the Zoe life. Uh, you know you know that John's not the only one that talks about that? Turn back to James. You know, he tells us the same thing. The same thing. In John chapter 1, <coughs> he tells us, um, and boy, I'd love to just run through this passage too, but we obviously won't have time to do that. But in John chapter 1, or excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 12. He says, blessed is the man that endures temptation. Or testing. For when he is tried, that is when he is tested, when he has been found approved because he's been tested, he shall receive the crown of the life. The Zoe life. The crown of the Zoe life. The crown of the messianic life. Which the Lord has promised to them that... Well, you'd have thought John wrote this, wouldn't you? To them that love him. Or you might think, wow... They were both apostles. They both listened to Jesus. They both have the same thing to say to us. Continue. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. By what? By the things of this world. The things that this cosmos offers us the things that Satan himself or his spirits 
want to seduce us into accepting the false prophets. And he tells us there then, in verse 15, Then, when lust hath conceived, this is the process, see, when you give in to the things of this earth, this world. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Or, if we look at the whole context here, beginning at verse 12, when, it says, when he says you ends in death, it means you end up in the loss of the crown of life. You won't have it. That's what death means in James. That's what death means in John's epistle. No difference. Now notice the tenderness of James also, though. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Just because you're counted as one of the brethren does not mean you're not prone to err. That we're not prone to give in or find ourselves slipping into the things that this world has to offer. But rather, he says, be warned of these things. Endure the temptations. Just, you know, if you can just put it in a present-day term, suck it up and get through it. Just do it. Like Nike says. Well, you do know the word Nike means victor, right? That's the Greek word for victory or overcomer. Of course, you pronounce it in Greek. You pronounce it Nike. That's where the Nike shoe idea, whole thing came from. You wear our shoes, you know, and you're, you're going to win. Well, if you want to be a, a Nike person, a Nike person, and be an overcomer, then you endure the temptations. You go through the trials as the athlete does, preparing for the contest. You endure everything that we have to go through in order to achieve the goal, to arrive at the end of the race in such a condition that we can claim the prize. And, of course, that means, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, running by the rules, obeying the rules. After all, Paul said, I can run the race Get all the way to the end and arrive there and then find out I didn't do it according to the rules. I did it my own way. Well, the only way you can do it is by faith. There is no other way. And so then back in John, 1 John 4, we'll continue on through that passage. Just a couple more verses here. And so he says in verse uh, <clears throat> 14, We have seen and do testify that the Lord sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Now, that sounds so simple on the surface. But you don't want to overlook a word there. And it's the word Son. Why is that so important? Why would you say, confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Because only the Son has the right to bear witness. Anybody else? So to be declared the Son of God meant 
God looked upon him as the rightful heir to the throne. He was the inheritor of the right to rule. And so we should not pass over that very lightly. But consider then, see, the one who confesses that Jesus is the son, the rightful heir. He is God's son. Then he says, God dwells in him and he in God. Whosoever, or excuse me, verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, here's the conclusion to the whole matter, see. We started off in chapter 3, verse 24, with this matter of abiding and dwelling. Now he concludes this little section here the same way. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That is, as God is love, and we are so in this world, then he says you can have boldness in the day of judgment. Confidence. You know, I can't imagine, well I can, but because it happens all the time, but facing your deathbed with fear and trembling, shaking, because you know you're going to meet God, and you know you're not ready. But a person who is loving of his brethren and dwelling and abiding in God doesn't have to fear like that, see? They're free of that fear. Paul tells us perfect love casts out fear. And so this love that we ought to have, and my, by the way, I see expressed here. I'm not preaching this because I don't see it here. I'm preaching it because I do see it. And I want us to encourage us in it and to continue in it, even grow in it. Because that, my dear friends, my beloved brethren, <laughs> that is our confidence in him. So you see, we could walk out of here as an ecclesia, as a group of people, and disassemble and go our way and meet one of our brethren in a store or on a street corner or wherever, and there should be an instantaneous affinity towards that person, an attraction beyond all others that we know. We love the brethren. That is the confidence that we have in Him. I like, you know, I like the idea. If we can walk out of here with boldness and confidence in our hearts, I'm not talking about arrogance in our hearts. I'm talking about boldness in God's Spirit to know that as all I have to do is obey His commandments, be willing to be led of His Spirit. And he will abide in me because I'm abiding in him. That's a great thing. That is a great thing. Can't say that I'm there. I sure would like to be. And you can help me do that. You can help me see by loving me. That will bring conviction upon me. And I can do the same thing for you. That's why we're all members of one body.
those who are members of one body together cannot function apart from another. You see, oh man, I'm going to get off and harp on something here a little bit, but I need to do it, see. It's because we do not understand and value then the matter of church membership. What? You tie myself down and get committed in one place? Maybe not me. No, sir. That's the whole idea. That you are willing to commit yourself to a specific group of God's people, a body of God's people, so that you can enjoy the interdependence of the members of the body. You can't do that, see, hanging. Now, you might be sitting in the congregation, see, but you can't, you know, when you get the, the, uh, the metaphor of the body, it's like you're a wart hanging on the side out there somewhere. How'd you like that, Mary? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the point. If you want to be a functioning part of the body, then you have to be a member of the body. You have to unite up with it, join with it, commit to it. And so if you haven't ever done that, I want to encourage you in that today. All right, let's close. Kept you here long enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together, to enjoy one another's company, to assemble and fellowship uh, around your word and in song and sing these hymns. And Lord, we are grateful that we have the privilege of intercessory prayer and that we can hold others up before you weekly as we stand here and share our burdens with one another and our praises. And I thank you, Father, for what you've done for me this uh, past week and this weekend. And Pray that for these others, Lord, that you would just minister to hearts and needs and, and continue to strengthen and heal. Even Hayden, we thank of Father, that you'll grant him continued healing and strength to his body and recovery from the surgery. We pray, Lord, for the many others on that list that you would accomplish all that you desire and will, will to do in their lives. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless us as we conduct this invitation and in giving people an opportunity to uh, express themselves for whatever need they have on their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.